and you know like to be re- to be honest like these fees can make or break someone's retirement i mean over like a 30 20 30 year period we're talking about a couple of hundred thousands of dollars in fees that are paid and you know i say you have to put your money in you know, get them out of these expensive mutual funds, get them in ETFs, you know, ETFs are like more or less the same thing as mutual funds, but they're a fraction of the cost. And they're more and they're more or less the same thing. Because if you think about it, if we're investing in Canada, what do we have in Canada, we have all the banks, you got the CIBC, Scotiabank, BMO, um, we have like our Canadian airlines, we have Air Canada, WestJet, hopefully they survive. Um, Canada Rail, Shopify, a few are coming up, but like not that many big companies, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're everyone's more or less invested in the same thing. So why would you pay more when there's something available that's significantly cheaper? Hey, what's good, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 46 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and those practicing the financial independence retire early movement about the best investments they've made in themselves that helped get them to where they are today. On the show today, we have the founder of the sassyinvestor.ca. She's the author of the Sassy Investor Workbook, and she's a chartered financial. She's also a chartered financial analyst and a financial literacy advocate. Michelle spent years in the corporate world before building her own six-figure portfolio by 29, and decided to take her knowledge and focus to empowering Canadian women on how to take control of their finances. So, everyone, let's meet Michelle Hung. How are you doing today, Michelle? Hi, Jordan. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Look forward to uh, your segment today. You're welcome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I, I want to get as many, you know, Canadian financial literacy soldiers on here so we can try and share the message that people can do a lot more around money themselves that they didn't think that they could. That's right. It's such a small space in Canada, like as in like the number of like personal finance experts. Um, it's a really tight knit community and it's always nice to collaborate and, you know, talk to each other to see how we can better help Canadians and their finances. Because, you know, we've seen the statistics out there. The They're pretty um, astonishing. Um, and any way that we can make people better off, um, I think it's it's just great what we're doing. I agree. And doing my research, I did find out that you've done some webinars with Questrade, which is is pretty awesome because that's been a goal of mine. But I was going through some of their press releases and they had an article in February saying how nine out of 10 Canadians don't understand how the fees work. Yeah, I'm not not surprised. (laughs) Yeah, 87%. That's that's horrible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's a reason why banks make so much money. So (laughs) yes, that's it. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, for for coming on to to share your knowledge. And when did you get involved in the personal finance community in Canada? Um, I guess it started about four years ago, mainly four. Yeah, four, just over four years ago. Um, I was just, you know, coming out of my career in investment banking on Bay Street. And one of the things I wanted to do was not only just start my own business, but, you know, a really common question I always received was, you know, what should I invest in? And then when I spoke to more people, more women especially, and I realized that they just weren't doing anything with their money. They were just... It was just sitting in a savings account. I'm like, oh, no, you need to do something with that. You have to invest it. And like they're on the right track. That analysis paralysis, though, where do you start? Where do I go from here? Right. 
Exactly. So then I created, I started off writing a book, wanting to teach people how to pick stocks. And then I realized, okay, most people should not be picking their own stocks, but <laughs> they should at least be doing something like the bare minimum. And they still weren't even doing that. Yeah. And then, like you said, there's like this like paralysis where people just don't know like what to do, where to start. So I created this workbook, like a step-by-step manual from education to execution and everything in between to get them to invest yeah so it just like very step by step kind of like an ikea manual i know like women would follow every step of that manual whereas for guys they just they don't even look at it they just like toss it aside and try to build whatever yeah they're like where's the hammer where's the screw and just try and figure it out exactly so that's um i that's how my platform started it was just hammering out like the nitty-gritty details on how people can get started with investing what they need to know what they need to do all the steps in between very much like a hand-holding process because i think that's what people need to be educated on because if they don't know then they're just going to walk away and just leave it and we both know like time is very valuable when it comes to investing right and then also just believing that you have the foundational knowledge that that you can make that real because that's the other thing too and and so like because of this what are some of the main issues or problems that the average investor runs into that they might not be aware of and like especially female investors do you have any stats or numbers that might be surprising that people wouldn't think but really do affect how they manage their money um I don't really have any stats. I just go by, I guess, anecdotal evidence and what I've experienced the last couple of years. But I find that... Um, That's probably just as good. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Whatever you can share. Yeah, so I think um, most common ones are women are... For women, they're not investing in any, anything. Their money is just sitting in a savings account, uh, which is why they approach me because they do want to start investing, but they don't know where to start. Okay. But they're just like that one step away from making it real. And that's where you help them. Exactly. And the other is um, if they are invested in something, they're likely in mutual funds. And I look at their portfolios and I see like the, you know, really high MERs, the trailing commissions are included. Um, Just those fees that they pay, which are really high and add up to so much money over the long run. And, you know, like to be re- to be honest, right. like these fees can make or break someone's retirement. I mean, over like a 30, 20, 30 year period, we're talking about a couple of hundred thousands of dollars in fees that are paid. And, yeah. you know, I say you have to put your money in, you know, get them out of these expensive mutual funds, get them in ETFs. You know, ETFs are like more or less the same thing as mutual funds, but they're a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And they're more and they're more or less the same thing. Because if you think about it, if we're investing in Canada, what do we have in Canada? We have all the banks. You got the CIBC, Scotiabank, BMO. Um, we have like our Canadian airlines. We have Air Canada, WestJet. Hopefully they survive. Um, Canada Rail, Shopify, a few are coming up, but like not that many big companies, right? Yeah. Exactly. So we're everyone's more or less invested in the same thing. So why would you pay more when there's something available that's significantly cheaper? So that's the the one thing I always mention to everyone. It's, you know, watch out for these fees. They add up to a lot. And if you're worried about, oh, is this ETF better than this mutual fund? It's like underlying it all are just the companies that are being that are um that's being invested in. Right. And think about what is in each, what is in Canada, what is in the U.S., right? So um, that those are the 
common things that I see. Another one is there a lot of people aren't, they're not necessarily geographically diverse. So what I mean is everyone has this home-based bias right. where it's like, oh, we're in Canada, we're safe. Just invest everything in Canada. I'm like, that's not what it means. Um, you have to <laughs> no, yeah. look outside of our economy because, you know, we're very, Canada is very heavily in the resource sector and we know resources are very cyclical, right? Yeah. Right. We look to the US, there's completely different like industries. Of course, they have lots of tech, lots of um, big names, big brands. And then we look overseas. There's a lot of names out there that um, we're familiar with, but they're not traded um, on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And we have to, we'd have to look at global ETFs to get exposure to those companies. Right. So th th that's another big mistake that we um, Canadians have because we're kind of like North Americans like we have a pretty self-centered mentality we think we're the center of the world we do especially yeah well just like the, there is growth in the U.S. but without a doubt yeah you have to look a bit outside of that exactly so that's uh, just a few things that a lot of people you know there's no like no one really educates you on that and even if you do walk into a branch yeah. like a lot of the financial advisors there um, the sales reps there, they don't talk to you about that either, right? So that's one, one of the things. I no, not at all. But they only know how to sell mutual funds. That's all they had to, to study and train for it. So exactly. It, yeah, it does make a lot of sense because I've just come to realize it's almost like the baby boomers have a bit of an illusion on, on you know, what their money's actually invested in, thinking that it's more of a plan when it's simply just asset investing. And then, yeah, now with the convenience of technology, it's just it's easier than ever. So Exactly. Try. And way more options for us, right? So, because it is, a, when yeah. it comes to fees, it is a race to the bottom. Yeah. So. Well, the, the saddest part is, is that you can start early and you can put away a lot of money every single month. But if you're paying 2.35% annually and you keep that money invested over 30 to 40 years, you've done everything right. But you're not almost going to be able to retire because most of that money has gone to fees. So not only is it so important to start early, but just keep those fees low. Exactly. You get the benefit of yeah. time. You don't have to invest as much later on. If you start it later, you'll have to catch up. And that includes dumping lump sums of money to catch up with your retirement, for example. Right. But if you give yourself more time, you let time do the work. You let the money compound. You let you basically let your money work for you. And that's the biggest tip that I have for all investors, young, especially young ones. It's like start yeah. now. I should have started yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's great that you can can find a niche like that and, and focus on helping women. It's it's super important, and you know, as Canada too is like a, a country that's diverse, and we welcome immigrants from different countries. It's also important to try and get those communities involved. So it's just great seeing the educators try to niche down. Absolutely. Yeah, and did you always have dreams of becoming wealthy or starting your own business? Like, were you a hustler as a child, Michelle, or what? What helped you shape your mindset around money? Yeah, I've all yes, I've always aspired to be wealthy. Um, did I hustle as a child? Like you know, hustle for stickers and pogs in the playground. I, I didn't do that, but I I certainly didn't. Um, like I didn't grow up wealthy by any means. My parents were immigrants. They were they worked with blue collar jobs, and I just watched how hard they worked. I barely saw my dad because he was in the restaurant business, and the hours were so demanding. And then and then there was the you know the expectation of having to do well in school and get good marks because my mom was like you need to go get you need to get a 
good office job. So you need an education. So you need good marks. So you don't have to work as hard as your dad. So that was really ingrained in, in me at a young age, like the work ethic. Right. And are you first generation Canadian? Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. And that seems to be the, on the West Coast. Yeah. Okay. Right. But yeah, so you got to see what, how hard your parents worked. So that kind of, that certainly set you on the right course. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then the coupled with, you know, being told no several times, it's, you know, like, no, you can't have this new Nintendo, you can't have this. And it was just, it looks sometimes it was viciously communicated to me without any explanation. So that kind of leaves a scar. And I remember yeah, saying to myself, when I grow up, I'm going to buy everything for myself. I'm not going to rely on anyone to buy things for me. So my independence was established at a pretty early age. Um, and certainly the aspiration to become wealthy. Good. Yeah. Well, it, it takes a certain type of person to, to get there too. And like you're someone with a background in mathematics. And so when did you realize that you were good with numbers? Um, I guess, you know, I, probably grade school. I mean, it was just, again, it was just one of those subjects my parents wanted us to be good at, right? It's the typical Asian expectation. Of, but the, yeah, the stereotype. Yeah, exactly. But and the funny right. thing is my sister wasn't good, at, wasn't as good at math as me. I'm not going to say she wasn't good. She just wasn't as good as me. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she excelled at reading and writing. So kind of the opposite, but she just didn't like it. She didn't like math. And, and not everyone has to like, every subject, right? Like I used to be a math tutor. I helped kids that struggled no, no. and observing all of them. I just like, I didn't think, I don't think math has anything to do with someone's capability. People just don't like it. Right. Yeah, I agree. And well, I think a big part of that is just how they're introduced when they're younger, because like, exactly, I, I exactly. It could be traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. Like I spent most of my adult life up until I was 25, believing that I could never invest and that I was stupid with numbers. And then Thankfully, I had a bad experience with a financial advisor that just made me start. But like, I've come to realize numbers are kind of like a language just outside of English, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. I absolutely agree. When I like when I do hear the excuse, you know, I'm not good at math, so I'm not good with money. My response is always, you know, like if you know how to make money and spend money, you are capable of budgeting and managing your money. It's like you said, it is a language, and you know, so we don't have to be like proficient in it but if you just know the basics like you're good to go yeah and I guess just you can't be scared of it that's probably the biggest block for most people exactly true and so were there any specific reasons why you decided to leave the corporate world to to start the sassy investor I mean besides the fact that you see the gap and you want to help people was it more of just like you felt like the right time and you had enough experience yeah, there were a couple of reasons, actually. Um, like, I've always wanted to start my own business. So that's like one main reason. Um, but the tipping point was when I was struggling to get back on Bay Street after I was laid off in 2014. So I took some time off after I was laid off, did my thing, took a break, took a rest, did a contract with a venture capital company for a few months. That was great. And that's what I, and that, and I thought that's something I wanted to do. But then like by then I was just, you know, I've, I've been out of work for, I don't know, like a couple months. So I was just gunning for anything in investment banking, venture capital, private equity, but it, it just wasn't happening. And then after going through like the interview process, going through dozens of interviews, presentations, rejections, and just being so emotionally invested in the process, I finally said, you know, I'm done. I'm going to create my own source of income. And 
I think a lot of people can appreciate that sentiment, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic where we're just seeing so many jobs evaporate and so many people like heavily relying on government assistance. Yeah, it's so sad because it happens so fast. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I'm fortunate that I still have a job myself, but it's can imagine been a reality check for a lot of people that thought they were more secure and probably wanting to understand their their own money better. Exactly. Yeah. So that was just the that was the biggest tipping point. It was just like, you know what, like, you know, I was putting like the biggest thing was like I was being so emotionally invested in the process. And, you know, I felt like I was putting so much power in the hands of employers. Right. Like I don't even work for them. It wasn't like I had a bad boss or anything. It was just like they I just wasn't being hired. But then, you know, at one point I was like, okay, maybe I wasn't meant to do that. Like I'm I'm, maybe now is the time. Now is the time for me to start my business and just go my own way. And honestly, I can't remember like how I came up with the name and how I got started. It just really felt, it just felt so natural and easy. Like it was, this is what I was supposed to do. I'm, I'm not supposed to like work for a bank or work for work in investment banking ever again. So I think that like, I realized that was the end of it. And that was my, that was one chapter in my life. And the second one is, you know, bringing um, just sharing all that knowledge that I've learned and, you know, sharing this highly useful skill and just like just basically helping people manage their life resources. And I think it's really important that people know this and really understand what to do with their money. Yeah, no, it, and it couldn't come at a better time where, like you say, it's it's becoming more of a skill set to to be able to make your own money and not have to put every employer on a pedestal and think that's the only way. And luckily by then, like I had money set aside. So I was like, okay, I have the funds to start my own business. I'm not going to starve, right? So Yeah, yeah. And I think that too, it's like you do almost have to put your back against the wall in order to 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 really drive through what might be difficult and might be scary because otherwise you just never know. And then time can go on and you'd still be at that job or. Exactly. So. Cause I don't think I would have accomplished all that. Like what I've accomplished so far, if I was working another job, I'm like, I would advise like people yeah, taking true. on contract jobs and doing something while they start a business. But you know, in hindsight, it's, you know, I got a lot, I got a lot done. I learned a lot during this like entrepreneurship journey and yeah in one way it was like I was cornered like I had no other choice but to like just force myself to you know create my own income and that that was like the position I was put in so very it's very it was very interesting um of course it was very it was really hard but I, again I had no choice so exactly and well it's been it's been five years right it's been a process and I'm sure you're so grateful for what you've learned there. Now, I did just want to ask about the CFA exam. You are a chartered financial analyst. Is that a difficult exam? I know it's internationally recognized. So I think with that, you can work anywhere. But what, like for someone, what, who would be the person that would want to take that kind of exam? It is a it is a challenging exam. Um, to be like to be very like honest, it's, it's the the most challenging part is the commitment. Yeah. There are three levels and for each level, like it's written once a year, except for the first level, it's written twice a year. So if you fail in June, you can write in December. That's okay, right? But if you fail the second or third level in like you have to wait an entire year and do the whole process, again, the studying process. So it's a good five months of your life per exam. 
um, and you don't get those months back. So if you're writing in June, you start, like I started studying in January and straight through and then going heavy the last couple of weeks leading up to the exam where it's time off work minimum, two weeks of your vacation. That's like, it's, it's the same as like exam time in university where you're just like doing 18 hour days, like at the library and day after oh day God, right? yeah. Yeah, and prepping. And so like, and so just once you've taken that, that qualifies you to essentially become a financial analyst with like a big firm in a, in a, any country most likely? Um, I wouldn't say so. Like it is just like a couple of letters behind your name. It is, you know, recognized, like globally recognized. You do learn right. a lot and it's, it does put you like, a, it gives you an advantage, I would say. In Toronto, not so much, maybe not even New York, but I know okay. like in Toronto, it's almost like every other person in the finance in- industry has a CFA designation. So it's like an expectation. And right. It's like a it, rite it, of passage then at that point. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't like it, it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get you a job. It may get you through the door, like as one of the requirements on a job posting, but it certainly right. does, it will not, you know, that that's not like a, a deal breaker. Um, no and, and, and yeah, it's for sure really good to have, but it's, it, I guess it just depends on the city and the job, right? So if you're in like investment management, portfolio management, um, advising individual clients, it's very, very useful to have just because the material that they teach you and definitely the ethics portion of it, they ingrain that in you. So I think that's very useful. It's, you know, the Institute holds us charter holders to one of the highest fiduciary standards in the world. So I think it's really good for that right yeah okay cool no thanks because i'm trying to think of different ways of like as someone that wants to become a money coach i know i'm early in the process um just different ways to build up the credibility but when i was actually living in vietnam um my girlfriend at the time this was many years ago but this was before i learned about investing or anything like that and it's just funny how she had signed up to take the CFA and then after about a month of studying, I was like, no, I'm done. This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and, you know, now it's just like four or five years later, I'm like thinking about taking it myself and just like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny how it's come full circle. And I had no idea what it was at the time and didn't realize like that what she was trying to take on then. And now it's like, holy crap, that is one hell of an exam. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, it's again, it's like, like I said, it's the commitment. It's right. five months per exam. And then the second one's probably the hardest, I would say, because it, it's more technical. Um, it's grueling, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like really rewarding. And it's just something really, you definitely be really proud of. Yeah, um, you like winning a war. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it really is rewarding. Um, but yeah, yeah. the but the it, it does build a lot of character too. Like again, it's work ethic. Like if you can commit yourself to that exam, like you can pretty much do anything. Um, for me, it's like, like I got my work ethic, like I, I had a really good work ethic from when I was really young, but it definitely helped with investment banking when I was working many, many hours a week. Um, and even getting, um, like trying to get my math degree at Waterloo, that was really hard as well. And then all of that just helped with the, the CFA exam, right? So it's, it really is about work ethic and the commitment to it. The first level, it's the materials fairly easy. 
but it's so much material. It doesn't matter how much you know. You just have to practice. So there is some yeah, strategy. Yeah, you don't have a big enough brain to hold that all. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So definitely there is, there is a strategy to passing um, all those tests. And you just have to, you know, do, like, just work with that strategy. Um, and then yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's good to know. But for anyone listening as well, if you want to know who to ask, especially Michelle, she's qualified, she's done all the work, <laughs> definitely be able to, to help a lot of folks. Now, so Michelle, I like to ask my guests, what are the three biggest investments that you've made in yourself that helped get you to where you are now? So I'm sure we've probably covered a few of those, but if you could try to narrow it down to three, uh, what might those be? Sure. So my first big investment was a house I bought when I was a student. Uh, I rented it out and managed everything, learned a lot of uh, financial responsibility. Um, and did you do that while you were in school? That, I was in school. Yeah, I was in second year. Smart. And Good on you. Thanks. Yeah. Like I just saw an opportunity and you know, somehow convinced my parents to do it and help me out. <laughs> so I did it, rented it out, sold it. Um, and then, you know, I look back and I'm really glad I made that investment, um, because now I can at least, you know, educate people in that realm. I have experience in, in, with that. Like the Sassy Investor is really about like the stock markets, but when right. people, you know, come up to me and, and they're like, well, real estate is safer than stocks. I can easily say, no, it's not. Yeah. And they're different asset classes. It's like apples to oranges. Um, right. so I, I'm really glad I made that investment, obviously learned a lot. Um, and you know, it's good to be on that side of the coin, right. At such a young age being a For sure. And just getting that fear out of the way, like seriously. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. The second investment, um, big investment was just read like education. I can't stress that enough. Just reading, educating myself and, um, the investing realm, books by you know peter lynch warren buffett and then other books like you know when when genius failed the intelligent investor like these are all really good books to you know get you in a particular mindset yeah definitely i like one up on wall street a lot and then the intelligent investors oh, yeah. it's a bit more dry you, you want to be a bit more seasoned but i feel like you read that five times in your life you're golden Oh yeah, that is, it is. It's a tough read. And I know a lot of people try to get through it and they just can't. Um, I really enjoy that book for some reason <laughs> as, you know, it is a little bit uh, dry, like you said, but for some reason I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I do too, actually. I read it the second time this year and I, I yeah, loved it. I still reference it. Um, and again, it's just like, I guess. Mr. Market. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I think it's just the... The mindset in particular, I think it, it just puts you in a more pessimistic mindset, which is really key because, you know, the stock markets are very optimistic most of the time. Right. And that's yeah, where people sure. can go wrong. But like being in a pessimistic mindset, not to be like you have such a pessimistic outlook on life. No, it's not about that. It's to allow you to question everything, ask questions and really consider your downside risks like mitigate all your downside risks and that's the most important thing that one can learn um learn about and to manage in every area of your life because everything else in life is upside yeah it's so you just worry about what the, the worst case scenario is everything else everything else in life is a bonus yeah that's, that's a great way to look at it and just like 
with the margin of safety I, I try to apply that to every other thing in my life now yeah exactly it's yeah and these are just good principles and just again like getting getting yourself in that mindset it's just really helpful like negotiating anything buying a house buying a car just being skeptical and questioning um what yeah, people say so it's, it's just really important yeah so, i think that people that do that definitely get better results or you know it, it might be perceived as more work but it pays off right so awesome what would be number three exactly and then the third one is a course on speaking and presenting. I think communication is so important, whether it's during an interview, whether you're or whether you're delivering a presentation to an audience, just like the ability to communicate effectively and with an emotional impact. It's just really important because I think in, like today with, you know, having just drowning in like texting and you know online social media it distractions yeah i know what you mean exactly and there's just some sort of value that's lost right so communication is really really important and at the beginning of starting my business that was one of the very first things i invested in was this like presentation course the speaking nice. course and it was, was that a dale so carnegie important. one no, 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 no. This was, this is another okay. one. She's a coach um, okay, cool. that I worked with and it was just so valuable. And I, every like it was a couple of thousand dollars, but I don't yeah. regret it. It was just like the best like weekend I've had. It was really weird. Don't get me wrong. Like learning right. how to communicate and speak and present, it's really weird. But I knew yeah. that if it feels weird, I have to do it. So I pushed myself to do it and it just really paid off. Good. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I, I actually had that realization last year, a former coworker of mine, he, he was an older guy working at the current company I'm at. And he, he's, he left recently, but he, he just didn't do the classic linear path. He didn't go to university. He grew up in Vancouver. So he kind of got into real estate in the early 2000s. And so just kind of an, an unorthodox mind where he's not doing what everyone else is. And I remember him telling me, he's like, my sister's a lawyer, man. And the, mo the number one thing, the number one skill you can have is being able to communicate what you want to get across clearly. Exactly. And I never really thought about it, but it, it's so true. And that's something that just with my stories or the podcast, it, it's all just ways that I can get better at talking. Exactly. So. Exactly. If you're going to market yourself, like marketing yourself in an interview, marketing yourself to like get a promotion or like your own business, it's, it, it's, all, it's all the same. Like you just have to be an effective communicator. Yeah, so that's a worthwhile investment in your life. Absolutely, I would say so. And then do you mind elaborating a little bit more on the emotional impact? Is that more of being able to like understanding uh, human behavior or like the psychology when you speak to people? Oh, yeah. And when you're like presenting and when you're and I remember like being in interviews or be interviewing people, people remember stories. They, they, they remember the emotional connection, the, the connection that you had. And being in finance, like just True. working in that industry, like there, there was that one aspect that I think a lot of us miss where it was just like all numbers, all like facts and everything. And we forget that connection. And that's a huge part of the sales process because, you know, I worked in investment banking. Investment banking is sales side. It's like a lot of pitching, a lot of sales involved. And there's definitely that one aspect that's missing, right. even if it's just, even if it is B2B, like we're pitching this company to buy this company. And all we focused on was like, these are the numbers. It's going to be an accretive transaction. It's going to be great for your bottom line and all these things that any other, <laughs> like every other company is pitching the same thing. They're going to come up with similar 
similar numbers, more or less. So what is it that's different? And that differentiator is most definitely for like the relationships. That's why they stress relationships, but that's along the lines of connection and emotional impact that you have on a person. And when I hired like my interns, I remember like I, I would hire the ones that I had the most connection, like the ones that I connected with the most, that they left an impression. There was some sort of like emotional right. impact which between our conversations. It rarely was it that it was a resume that impressed me. The resume got them the interview, right? But to like finish the interview and get land the job, it was that um that emotional side yeah. of the the interview. Yeah, it's just showing that they're like I, I I see what you mean there. Connection can can have such an impact. And I've been watching one of I mean over the last few years, I've used YouTube as a learning resource way more than I ever had before, and I just didn't see it in that light. But like watching these TED talks on how yeah speakers using certain emotional tricks to get people like just to get chemicals in your body to release endorphins or dopamine. It's mm-hmm. the whole science. Exactly. And again, people remember stories. They don't remember facts and numbers. And I have to keep that in mind um, when I do my workshops as well, right? I always incorporate yeah, right. stories to mix in all those, you know, facts and like pretty relatively dry material, right? Yeah. I mean, I've read a lot of like investing books and that was the other reason, one of those reasons why I started The Sassy Investor was because, you know, I read so many books, so many blogs. I'm like, this stuff is so boring. Like I'm bored and I actually understand this stuff. So I can't imagine like what others are thinking when they don't even have a background, when they don't understand it. Right. No, that, yeah, that's so important. Now, do you mind sharing a little bit uh, of the process from, from when you started the Sassy Investor with, with the workbook initially to now? Uh, I know that's, it's a lot, but just kind of to give anyone the idea if they're thinking of creating something uh, or they, they've had an idea to start a business and they haven't, because obviously it, people think that they want it to happen fast, but that's not a, a real way of looking at it. Uh, do you mind just sharing like a bit of a process of how you've gone through that to where you are now as well? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a pretty lengthy process just because my book has, it's heavily illustrated. So I had this idea in mind where, you know, this vision where I wanted to have everything step by step laid out like a workbook, like a coloring book that's attractive, that's, you know, that that will just draw a lot of attention to women, right? It, the front cover's pink, yeah. so <laughs> off the bat. And and I did get the, it was mistaken for a children's book uh, several times, which I'm okay with, it? right? I'm okay with that. Bet, yeah, better than people not talking about it. Because I imagine if you pick that up on the shelf and you see pictures when you open it, you're like, okay, this is actually, I can work with it. Exactly. So I've gotten a lot of like positive, lots of positive reviews and feedback on it. And it's just easy to digest. And that was the main goal was I yeah. wanted to make it very easy to digest, very easy to understand so that people, one, will finish the book, but also do it. To, they, I wanted them to execute. So it's very, like, it's a very practical book. And that was my main goal. So it for sure took, you know, a lot of, a lot yeah. of time, a lot of revisions. And then of, of course I had the, you know, my own blockages, you know, it, it had to be perfect, but you know, People will tell me it's never going to be perfect. You'll never put it out if you keep thinking it has to be perfect, right? So that, that's the thing. Like if, if there's a mistake, if there's right. something I want to change about it, there's always a second, third edition. You can always publish another one. So 
you know, since then, I this was released early last year, but I started in 2016. And of course, there's a lot of things I've learned over the years, and I certainly do want to publish another version just because I've learned so much over the years. And that's one of the biggest tips I have for people that want to start. It's just, it's never going to be perfect. You're always going to be learning, but you just have to put out the first the first one, right. the first draft, the first whatever, the first video, anything that you're trying to accomplish, anything you want to do, there has to be that first step you have to take. And it's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. Because there's nothing, there's no such thing as perfection. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's that idea that we've we've fixated on in our minds, but nothing's perfect. And, and that's the nice thing about ebooks is that you can actually make changes over time uh, that people might not be aware of. Even most common books, they've been revised multiple times to, to keep them up to date. But Exactly. Yeah. Great. And so you do some coaching now, right? And when did, so like you put the book out and then you started realizing, okay, I can potentially do coaching calls or like, how did you formulate into what you're doing now? Yeah. So, you know, I also learned that you can't just make a business off um, one product, <laughs> one product, like a book, <laughs> it's a money yeah. losing, uh, or not very prof- profitable venture, unless you're like the Harry Potter author, JK Rowling, you know, unless you're that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get lucky. Harry- Some people get lucky, but <laughs> yeah. So, um, I had to, it's like, okay, what else can I do? So, you know, people want it one-on-one, they want it to, there was online learning. So I started building courses online and there's, you know, people that w- would ask me, hey, can you just manage my money for me? So, yeah. you know, there's a, just there's so many things that we can do to help people um, and people learn differently. Some like learning from a book, some like e-learning, some like coaching one on one. So I do offer like I offer like a little bit of everything. Um, and my in-person workshops were pretty like that's my signature workshop. Yeah very proud of that lots of success with my students and it's just a process like the from education to execution that's something I fine-tuned over the years so that's how I got into you know like the coaching teaching like start off with educating and then led to coaching and now financial planning yeah it's brilliant it just goes to show that it starts with that first effort and then things kind of you know it's hard to say where the motivation comes from but when you see one thing work it makes it less scary to start the next and go from there. So. Exactly. And, you, and it's all trial and error, right? You just keep trying. Yeah. If it doesn't work, you move on to something else. If something does work, then you learn how to, you know, try to scale it, right? So. Yeah, definitely. So one other thing I wanted to ask is because over time too, you, so you, you write for the Canadian Money Saver magazine and you've done webinars with Questrade. And are those opportunities that found you or did you did you find them? Um, Money Magazine found me. So the editor reached out to me, had a conversation with her, which is great. For Questrade, I actually kind of approached them. I had a question because I'm one of their clients. I have a Questrade account. So I just phoned them. Yeah, so I just phoned them one day. And then for some reason, this idea popped up and I just asked the person, I'm like, hey, like, do you do anything with influencers? And from there, a discussion developed and then it developed into me doing a webinar for them yeah no that that's awesome and because it it is it's it's interesting too how these opportunities arise sometimes someone will find you and you you don't have to even go out there and find that exactly and it comes with you know just you know putting yourself out there and just be and these things and that was like a couple years into 
you know, after I started, right, it certainly doesn't start right away. You have to, you know, just gradually build your brand, keep putting your name out there. And like the personal finance community is a small community in Canada. Like it's very small. We all pretty much know everyone. So it's good to be involved with the community because you just never know who they know. And, you know, everyone's always trying to help each other. Yeah, no, it's true. Are you an affiliate with Questrade as well? Uh, Yes, I have their, because I use their platform to teach my workshops and demonstrate, I grabbed an affiliate uh, link from them. I'm like, hey, I enjoy it. I use it myself. I might as well make some money off of of it if I'm going to promote you. Yeah, that's also a new kind of thing that, you know, without technology, you wouldn't have the ability to refer people somewhere and, and get another source of income from that too. It's it's I, I, it fascinates me just how yeah things change so quickly, but with technology, we get new business models. Exactly, and and it's great because it's yeah again like I would use it anyways. Um, so why not just if I'm promote if, if I'm helping promote them, then I should get something out of it. Yeah, no, that's a good point because I, I recommend Quest Trade too because I use it. I'm I'm totally happy with it. Then you also just think like, well, maybe there is something out there that I haven't found yet but then at the same time if you're happy using something that works you don't have to keep looking and yeah especially when we're demonstrating right it's like it's hard to demonstrate using this platform and then that platform and it's just too much for an individual so it's like you know what i'm just gonna use this and stick to it if you don't want to use it that's fine right but this is like i'm demonstrating on this platform right and and the thing is questrade is a great platform and for i didn't realize it's actually been in canada since 1999 and, you know, I just think that as time goes on, there's you know, more people like you and I are just going to be trying to get people to consider the other options that are completely legitimate and will save you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Exactly. Yeah, I, I really enjoy Questrade. The customer service is really good, too. Yeah. And they're like, again, discount brokerage. So their fees are really low and commission. they have commission free trading for e- like on the purchases of ETFs, which is one of the things I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, in line, it goes it's in line with like the strategy that I teach uh, my students and clients so yeah no me, me as well it's, it's highlighting that for them it's like look it's free to open the TFSA it's free to send money every month from your checking account and it's free to buy ETF shares like you, you literally spend no money to get exposure and get better results over the long run compared to the active funds exactly oh mind-boggling well I do hope that we can inspire more Canadians to to make that shift and just it'll make everyone smarter with their money and make better financial decisions. I think it's a good thing. For sure. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks so, thanks so much for coming on the show, Michelle. So where can people find more about you and the Sassy Investor Workbook? Sure. Um, the The book is available on Amazon. So if you just do a search for the Sassy Investor, you can grab a copy there and you can, um, you can find me at the sassyinvestor.ca. So you can check out my website. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and LinkedIn. So hit me up on my website. My email's there. All my uh, social social media information is there as well. Good. Getting on all the platforms. Are you based in Toronto, Michelle? Yes, I am. So when you refer to Bay Street earlier in the show, is that like the Canadian Wall Street? That is correct. Yes. I say like Bay Street, Wall Street. I do have some uh, American students and in my audience. So I do, I always say like Wall Street slash Bay Street. Gotcha. Okay. No, I I mean, I meant to ask earlier, I kind of assume, but I just wanted to make sure, but no, that makes sense. That's kind of how it, how it gets termed. And any last piece of advice for, for the listeners, just a last investment tip before you go. Um, just, you know, 
just get started. Like just take the first step, um, pick up a book and ask questions, reach out to like any of the experts out there, like Jordan, myself, and just, you you just have to take the first step and don't prolong any longer because time is your best friend when it comes to investing. Absolutely. Yeah, the sooner the better. Meryl, thanks so much for coming on, Michelle. Great. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And that is episode 46, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Michelle is super knowledgeable, and she's really set out to help the women out there in Canada get started with investing. So go grab her workbook from Amazon. Go check her out. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with any like-minded friends. Just want to spread the knowledge and hope that they might get some value out of it. And if you if you really enjoyed this episode, please go listen to some others. But also, if you can leave a review or a rating, that would be very helpful. I'd love to see who's listening, and it helps with the organic reach. So that is our episode for this week, everyone. This is your host, Jordan Hiley, signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves. Till next time.